Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you with us as we conclude our series called Available. It's been a long way, baby. We've gone for 11 weeks on this series, and we've been considering what could happen if our lives were in God's hands and how to live expectantly and intentionally in that reality. We've covered a lot of topics, but today I want to prepare you for this upcoming week. It's one of my favorite celebrations of the year. It's Thanksgiving, and you only have to bring thanks, a thankful spirit with you, and a few other items like food, but you don't have to bring gifts or anything like this, like Christmas is. This is a a great moment just to pause and to practice contentment and thanksgiving. So this week, we're going to be looking at what it would look like to be available with contentment. You know, in the history of the world, we've never had more, but yet we've never felt like we've had so little. All around us, there's face-to-face connections, there's digital interactions, but the thing I keep hearing from therapists and counselors is that people more today than ever feel alone. There's options, there's opportunities to purchase at the grocery store, people, 20 varieties and flavors of creamer, of creamer. And yet we still feel like we're deprived. There's more mobility and travel. There's more accessibility than we've ever had. And yet we still feel limited. Those who have the most are still asking this question. Is this all there is? Is this it? This is a target. Discontentment is a target of the enemy who loves to keep God's children anxious and worried that they don't or won't have enough to meet the demands of reality around them. So this is an important aspect for us to look at. And so as we do that, I want to take you to the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures that call us towards contentment and identify the enemies of contentment. So let's take a look at several of those passages. The first one is in Hebrews. In Hebrews, oh, by the way, before I move on, let me just give you a definition for what contentment is. Contentment is living in the reality that Christ is enough. I'm going to unpack this later, but look at these passages through this lens. The reality, living in the reality that Jesus is enough. We just sang, by the way, that song that says, my worth is not in what I own, which means that we don't see people's value by how much they make or how much they have. We ultimately look to our value for the value that Christ gives us and that our ransom was paid. Our price is determined at the cross where Christ laid down his life for us. And therefore, our soul is satisfied in him alone. We just sang that and we sang it so that we might be able to teach our minds that this is true and that we might be able to orient life around the reality that Christ is enough. In Hebrews chapter 13, The writer of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he, being God, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Another passage to look at is a passage in 1 Timothy where Paul writes to Timothy, who is a pastor in the church in Ephesus. And he says this, Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 
But if we have food or clothing, what a, what a minimum requirement. If we have food or clothing, and clothing, with these we will be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What does that last line mean? Pierced themselves with many pangs. The scholars I've read on it is it has a, it was kind of a slave that was liberated from their master, but they chose to come back to their master and, and endear themselves to it. Here, uh, Paul is saying this is a negative thing. When we chase after one more thing, or the things that we don't have, rather than appreciating the things we do have, we literally do what they did. And what they did is they took their earlobe and they took something that would, a needle that would pierce through their earlobe into the doorway of their master, the door of the master, so that literally would be pinning your life to that master. Aren't you glad that there's better ways to say, I, I love you, I'll be committed to you for the rest of my life? I'm glad it's rings and not piercings, but at any rate, that's what it was. And it showed that a commitment, and here Paul says, don't pierce yourself with things that, that are temporary. Connect yourself with Christ and follow him. And then in Philippians chapter 4, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, it's, Paul says this, and this is an interesting point. He says, for I have learned... In other words, contentment is something we learn. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Make sure you keep verse 13 connected to the other verses. Otherwise, it becomes a locker room cry. Come on, let's go get him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul is connecting it through is the contentment. He's saying, look, I have learned in every situation that my strength is not in what I own. My strength is not in what I have. My strength is even not what I do. It's what Christ is doing in me. He's the one who gives me strength. And then finally... Finally, there's a passage in James. James writes this in James chapter 4. He says, What causes quarrels or what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And here James is writing, he's just kind of showing that uneasiness, that discontentment in us that causes us to covet, to envy what others have that we don't have, to be jealous and to be in in conflict with each other because of it. So think about this. Think about what God is calling us to. He's calling us to contentment. And we've learned through these passages that contentment is something that we have to train our lives to. We don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I feel so content. It's not something our kids go, I, mom and dad, I just think everything is just wonder. I don't, wonderful. I don't want anything to change. No, we have so many things that are just thrown to us that are saying it's not enough. You don't have enough. You're not enough. And so we're always wondering, what's enough? What's enough? Jesus is here to remind us he's enough. 
And so I want to kind of unpack what are some of the enemies to contentment, just so that we'd be warned as a church family to look out for these things and to redirect our lives following Christ in these areas. The first one is comparison. Have you ever walked into someone's home, got into their sparkling new car, taken a deep breath and gone, I want this. I want this. Have you ever looked at their newly remodeled kitchen with granite and with tile floors and have said, I want some of that? Yeah, that's what we do when we walk into a place and we we covet what they have that we don't have. And it's all about comparison. And it's not just about your things. Because I've learned a lot about discontentment. I learned that it's not just about our things, it's about our relationships. Because you show up at church, and every couple looks like everything's just going awesome. Every family looks like, man, they're doing really, really well. We don't wear reality always on our faces. We come in and go, hi, you know, it's a day. welcome, CCs, you know, that kind of greeting that we give. And we don't usually show it. And I'm not asking if you're depressed to come in like this, you know, just looking for the conversation. But... We don't always see that with others. So it's real easy, because I didn't hear your conversation on the way here. (laughs) No nudge zone. I didn't hear your conversation here. It just looks like everything's going okay. So it's easy if my wife and I aren't getting along for me to look at your marriage and go, your marriage is better than mine. Or your kids. I, I see a lot of your Facebook posts. Your kids are just awesome. They're wonderful. Star students. I mean, this is awesome. I got the failing or missing assignment email this week. Man, what's up with my kid? It's really easy for us to compare. And especially when you're going through a time of suffering or loss. For you to look and go, no one knows how I feel. You just don't know. Comparison robs us of joy. And it ignores what God might be doing with what he already has given us. Secondly, there's complaining. That's an enemy of contentment because it's never satisfied with the way things are. And my, don't we have an environment of complaining? We don't call it complaining. And we don't wake up to go, you know, tomorrow morning when I wake up, I hope I am the most discontent person who complains about everything. It just happens. It just happens. But we have a culture that really invites us to complain. Leave the review. If anything doesn't meet your expectations, write it down and tell them that it's bad and don't let people know or don't tell people not to buy the thing. It's real easy to express in a politically charged culture your beliefs, your opinions, and you can complain about how the way things are. I don't know that anyone runs for office saying, hey, I think things are just going really well. I just want to keep it going. No, we complain. We complain. But again, it's not just those faraway places that we complain It's the people we work with. It's the people we live with. When they don't measure up to our expectations, we can show it. I was preaching last night at the 6 o'clock service, and my wife was right there, you know, smiling as he preached. And I said, you know, with my wife, when I'm disappointed, I don't even say anything. I just look down, and she knows something's up. I just look down to show my disappointment. It doesn't even have to be verbal. We can complain. 
And complaint robs us of contentment. We communicate to those we love the most and those that we work with the most that, that they're not good enough, that what they're doing is not enough. And I'm a fairly driven individual. <laughs> That's the understatement of the universe. And it's very easy for me to just move on after our expectations are met or exceeded. It's, I just, and so there's a need for me to intentionally slow down and thank the Lord right where we're at and thank people for right where they're at so that I'm showing some contentment. And then there's compulsion. Compulsion is that whole issue within us, that desire to acquire things without considering the, the cost and so it's fool, we can foolishly spend and consume and commit what we have for the short term at the long term cost. And, and, and on a typical week, we here in America receive 500, 500 pieces of marketing. And it can be a billboard, it can be a notification on your phone, it can be an app. Advertising is just amazing. And this week alone, it's set to double. You will now have a thousand this week. Why? Because Black Friday, right? The best sale of the season. And act now. This is going away. And it builds this discontent in you that I, am I doing what I ought to be doing? I mean, I'm American. And we need to be, we are consumers, people. And it causes us to spend well over our monthly income on this month alone. And we're paying for it in January and February. And boy, if we don't get that tax return, oh man, we are toast because we buy into the lie that if I have this, if I get this, my life will be better. When I was growing up, my dad had a carpet company and when I was in high school, a new thing happened. It was this whole no payments Till 1990. Okay? Six years. No payments. Like, what in the world? No one shows you a picture of a couch that's eight years old when you finally have to start paying, making payments. No one shows you the kids threw up on it. The dog threw up on it. The one could buy this and pay for it in eight years. We don't think about that. We just think about the here and now. And so there was this old school furniture store down the road from my dad's carpet store. And it said this. Our financing, everything down, no payments ever. I love that. I love that. And that's why they went out of business. But if we could just live like this. Compulsion is something that moves us. It builds that. I don't have enough. I need this. And we just grasp. The book of Ecclesiastes calls it chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. And then there's cravings. There's cravings within us, that desire of wanting, longing, or lusting for what we don't have. I remember when I was growing up, I put a poster up in my room, and it just <laughs> irked my mom because I took those little thumbtacks, stuck it into the wall, and put holes in the walls. Now you have that goo that just doesn't leave any residue, and everything's good, right? But in my day, we put up posters, and that dream car was a Porsche 911 SC Targa. That was my dream car. And I put it up there. And every day I woke up and I said, someday. So I still haven't gotten that car. Just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> but it's so easy to crave after things and lust after things. And there's, even, even when things are not going good, it's easier for us to think that the better place is outside of where I'm at right now. 
my marriage isn't going, the lust is that there's another person out there for me who understands me and wants to make me happy. And so we look and we lust after things we don't have. Folks, this is not the plan of God for us. And so what God wants to do for us and in us is he wants to grow contentment. And so what I want to help you with is taking a few steps towards contentment. And I'm not naive. I know that it's going to be a whole lot more than one message for us to get our minds around this. But I think one message can at least get our minds around the heart of God for us and our first steps out of discontentment into contentment. And I'll just say this. If you'll take these first steps, I know God will show you more. I'm content with that. And I know that. One hour cannot transform your life. Your transformation is all part of you walking with God on a daily basis, living in the reality every moment of your life, every decision of your life, in every relationship of your life, that Jesus is enough. He really is enough. So if you go through a time when you're going very discontent, with discontent with church, discontent with your marriage, discontent with your children, you might want to ask the question before you point the finger, what is it about me that does not practice that Jesus is enough? What is it in my mind? What is it in my heart? What other idol have I put up there that I've communicated that I've been led to believe that Jesus isn't enough? Because what I want to really try to train our minds out on this foundational statement, and that's this, that what I already have is better than the things I don't have. What if we could live with this on a daily picture of our lives? And it doesn't mean that we don't long for things like justice or healing or rescue. But we practice on a daily basis that, Jesus, you're everything I need to take these next steps out of suffering, out of pain, out of perspective in my job, out of a relationship in my marriage. And I'm going to start celebrating what I already have rather than the things I don't have? What if I could live and really see that where Christ has me right now is a better place than having things I don't currently have? This, is, this could be transformational for us. So where do we begin? Well, let's begin with who's enough. Let's begin with Christ. What do you have with Christ? Paul says this. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. Where do you get godliness from? People kind of view this word of godliness here as things you do, your performance, your behavior. You're a good person, and the better you are, the more godly you are. And here, all the righteousness, all the godliness that you have has been given to you by Christ. It's his work for you, not your own, that you should take pride in. It's humbling your life to follow him. Everything you have with God is because of Christ. And when you have Christ and contentment, and you live in the reality that Christ is enough, guess what? Great gain. It's far better to live through life content with Christ than discontent without Christ. It's far better. It's far better. And so what do you have with Christ? You have relationship with God. You have forgiveness of sins. You have the future of eternity, the promise that you are not alone, that God is with you. He sees you. He saved you. He sets you apart for his purposes. Paul also says here, we brought nothing into the world. 
And I've been there. I've been an eyewitness to three live births with my three sons. And they all came into the world naked. And people go out of the world. And they can't bring their things. I've said it before. You don't see a U-Haul attached to a hearse. Until one of you sent me a picture of a U-Haul attached to a hearse. And we can make those pictures. But you can't take it with you. You can't take your soul. And a soul that is set free for eternity through Christ. You have everything you need in life and death when you have Christ. That's contentment. That's contentment. Over here seated, I didn't plan on doing this, but I see the Johnson family. And Clark Johnson passed away just recently. This is their first Thanksgiving without Clark. I sat down with this family And I listened to a family grieve, and they were sad, and there were tears. But you know what they had? They had contentment that since Clark had Jesus, he had everything he needs for eternity. You know the comfort of that? Have you, by faith, put your trust in Jesus? Have trusted him to to live for you, the one who satisfied God's righteous requirements through his life, his death, and his resurrection? Have you trusted in his work, not yours, for your life? If you have, tell your family, tell your family this Thanksgiving, I am so thankful for Jesus Christ who saved my life and set me free because there's nothing better when someone leaves this world for their family to live in that confidence that they knew Christ. And there's nothing more hopeless and in despair of when a family didn't know because no one ever told them. I know you may think religion is just something quiet, but your relationship with Jesus is not something that should be quiet. It should be your identity. It's who you are. Share that with your family. Begin with Christ. And by the way, let me just remind you what you don't have with Christ. You don't have the judgment of God in your life. You don't have the wrath of God over your life. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no guilt with God. There's no shame with God. There's no hopelessness or worry or anxiety about did I do enough? Am I enough? Jesus is enough. There's no fear of missing out. There's no FOMO with Jesus, people. There isn't. Because he has you right where he wants you. Jesus is enough. Secondly, resist comparing. I like what Hebrews 13 says. It says, keep your life from f- free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What this passage is really calling us to is, see, contentment builds confidence. It builds confidence in the Lord. So we've got to be willing to resist comparing. How do we do that? Well, I talked about what it's like to walk into your friend's new house, new car, new lake home, new jet ski, new motorcycle, whatever it is, which you walk into and you can envy. But let me just remind you what your friend has that you don't have on another spectrum. Folks, you didn't have to pay for it. You didn't have to pay taxes for it. And if you live in Shawnee County and more taxes for it. You don't have to fix it when it breaks. You don't have to store a jet ski for nine months out of the year. (laughs) You don't have to do all of that. Usually when you walk into what your friend has, it's at its best. 
they've got to take care of it. They've got to pay for it. It costs more. So thank the Lord you don't have to pay for it. You get to use it. And instead of comparing, encourage them. This is awesome. I'm so thankful you have to pay for it and I don't have to. (laughs) This is a wonderful house. It must cost you an arm and a leg, but it is beautiful. No, you don't have to go that negative route. You can just be thankful for that. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We live in such a culture that if it's not happening, if we don't get it too, we're envious and we're negative. Rejoice with people. Rejoice. Resist comparing. Secondly, how to resist? Limit the sources of content you see. Don't open that email that says, the best sale of the season. Be careful where you go. And I say this at a moment where we're all weak. Black Friday. If I don't get up at six in the morning, or nay, two in the morning and wait outside in the cold with a tent, I will miss out on 50 bucks or something like that. Folks, I've checked it. I've checked it. Just wait. Everything drops in price. Just wait. 2018 really quickly becomes what 2014 was. You just wait. Depreciation happens. Resist comparing yourself. I have to, just to be honest with you, if I don't have a plan, when I go to Best Buy, I am shot. Because that's my bling place. That's my happy place. I will buy things I don't need, but I want. Because I look at it and it's new. And I want to bring it home. We need an eighth television, honey. We just do. We just do. In the bathroom. <laughs> We can find places, any place in our lives or in our homes for one more thing. And the more you make, the more of a plan it is for your life. Because, I I mean, we're really good as consumer, as a consumeristic culture, just to say, if you get this, and when this happens, then you'll do that. And when we compare, we tend to say something like this. We tend to play the when-then game. God, when you give me this, then I'll give you that. God, when you give me a spouse, (laughs) then... We'll serve together. God, when you give us kids, then we'll be a family who comes to church more regularly. God, when the kids leave, then I'll start giving regularly. God, when the kids leave again, then my wife and I will be really available. And it's all when then. It's always waiting on one more thing. It's never content and it's never available right where you're at. Resist comparing. Finally, Finally, open your eyes to the promises of God. What does, what does that say? Remember, remember, he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Jesus is enough. I will not fear. I won't fear what I don't have, what's not happening in my life right now. What can man do to me? That's a liberating place to be in a culture that's just enslaved to the one more thing the relationship you're not in, the kids you don't have, the opportunities that aren't yours yet. That's liberating. I remember I was a single man, and I thought, boy, I need a wife, God. Just amen. <laughs> Pray for her. And, and it didn't happen. It just wasn't happening. And I decided not to go, you know, insecure on this. So I just said this. I said a prayer. God, I want to be content right where I'm at. And so I'm going to serve you I'm going to serve you right now with opportunities that I wouldn't have if I were married. And I'm going to serve you. And God led me to high school ministry. And I just loved high school students and forged the foundation of ministry 
loving high school students and helping them find and follow Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, as I did that, one day I just looked over, guess Cheryl Smith. There she was. She was serving high school students too at a different church. But she was doing that. It's interesting just how when I pursued God and she was pursuing God, guess what? We became closer together. And that's how I met my wife. If I would have just, you know, tried to swipe right, very few long-term relationships happen. Destruction happens when we do that. If I tried to force that, hi, I'm Joe, will you marry me? That wouldn't work either. That's not content. No one likes to see someone who's desperate. But I, was, I wanted to love God with my first and my best. I wanted to love God the way I wanted to love whatever woman God brought into my life, who I would marry. And God just worked that out. See, we stay on the sidelines rather than, than pursuing God in this area. And that's why the third thing, it's not just resisting comparing, but also an opportunity to give thanks and enjoy what I already have. Think about what you already have. Think about what you've gone through this year and give thanks. Give thanks. Many of us have spouses who have been faithful to us, who loved us and care for us. Some of us have children who want to be around us. Thank the Lord for them. Thank them for being in your life. Some of us have, most of us, have on a cold Sunday, we actually have a heater in our homes and it's keeping us warm. We have food. We have clothing. Thinking and saying thank you are important. We can think thoughts of thankfulness, but what we really need is words to express it. And now it's never been easier to say thank you in our world. It's never been easier for me to pull up my phone, turn it on, see Richard Ramshaw and go, man, I'm thankful for our friendship in, in, in my life. I'm thankful for you. Never been easier. You don't have to go old school and write that out and fold it up and get, where's that envelope? And, and then lick that stamp and then put it out. And, oh, just thanks. We can do that. God's given us that technology to say thank you. But do we say thank you and enjoy what you already have? Go diving in your basement someday this week and look at all the things you thought you used to ha- have to have and bring them out, recycle them. You may lose some pounds because you're going to find a lot of ellipticals and rowing machines and treadmills. You're going to find a lot of those. But thank the Lord for what you already have. How many of our spouses have not heard thank you from each other? How many of us haven't said to our spouses, you know what, you are enough. You are enough. I am so thankful for you. You are a blessing in my life. You're more than enough for me. How many of our kids, you know, I talk to kids a lot. And whether a kid's 60 or 16, You know the number one disparity in their lives? Mom and dad, am I good enough? Are you proud of me? Am I doing what I should be doing? Because if we aren't careful as parents, we're jumping on our kids. You're not doing this. You aren't where you should be. I want you to do this. And we can just be just, we become the teacher on Charlie Brown. Wah, wah, wah. That's all they hear. Do you know what they do here? I just like watching you play basketball. 
I stopped counting. I, I love it when you do this. You know, that's what I see in you. I see God doing this in your life. I'm so proud of you. Don't tear down another kid. You're not like those bad kids. Just say, I'm proud of you. God is working in your life. I see God's heart in you. You know how many parents and kids? I know adult children who've never heard that from mom and dad and are the most successful people I know who are longing to hear it from their parents and they still don't hear it. This week can be a different week for you. Around that Thanksgiving table, when you see someone who God has brought you back together in your family, an aunt, an uncle, a niece, a nephew, a child, a spouse, a mom or dad, a grandmother, a grandfather, take some time to give thanks to the Lord for them and thank them personally and enjoy them. Even the quirky ones, enjoy them. And then finally, and by the way, look at, look at what Paul says, his minimal requirements. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Just write those down. Food, clothing, good day. The more we pack into what a good day is, the more that has to happen before we are content, the harder contentment, the more elusive it will be for us to find. Food, clothing, God provided it. Thank you, God. Good day. Give us this day our daily bread. (laughs) We've never had more in our refrigerators. Our refrigerators have never been larger. Our pantries have never been larger. And yet we feel like we have so little. Somewhere along the line, we've just missed it. We just missed it. It's enough. With these, we will be content. We've got to recalibrate our lives onto what true contentment is. I have Jesus. He's given me food. He's given me clothing. All right, let's move on because some of us are hangry right now, right? Okay. Last one is pursue what is priceless and eternal. See, ultimate contentment is not for things that Moth eats, moths eat, and rust corrodes, or thieves break in and steal. True contentment is found in things that last forever. And church, we know this, right? What three things last forever? God, his word, and people. That's right. And so we have, we have the promise of who God is. Paul mentions that in Philippians 3. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now think about this. Right before this, he gave his ministry resume, and it was packed with accomplishments and status and position, and he did it to set us up. It was, it's like, whoa, Paul is really an accomplished Pharisee, and he knows the scriptures, and he's grown up in the faith. This is a champion. He goes, but whatever you think I'm great about, I consider it as loss. And by the way, loss there, I consider it rubbish. That was a kind English word for it. Literally, I can't say the word what he meant. It's the four-letter word. He counted it like that, like refuse, like nothing, so that I could gain Christ. Christ was enough for him. And we need to recalibrate our lives around the things that last because it's so easy to be distracted by the things that are temporary. Go all in for the surpassing greatness of the things that are priceless and eternal. 
God, his word, and people. Pray each day. God, help me see the, the things that last forever. And help me to stop at those places. And the place, the things that are just temporary, the things that don't last forever, the things that aren't of significance to you, help me just walk by. But if it has some application for eternity, slow me down. Let me rest. Let me find contentment in these things. So here's what I want to do. I want to send you out with a prayer. And, and unlike other prayers that I've done, this one I've written because I want you to know as my church family how thankful I am for you. You are a blessing in my life. Every week when we join together as the fellowship family, God brings so many different people from so many different backgrounds. Some of you came to Christ this year. Some of you began growing in a walk with him. I'm so thankful for you. You are evidence that the gospel through Jesus Christ is enough for your lives. I'm thankful to be a leader in this church. And God has raised up some incredible servant leaders, men and women who love him and want to serve him and, and, and pursue him because he is priceless and eternal and people are priceless and eternal. And they sacrifice each week. I mean, that just warms my heart. God has kept us, keeping, sorry if you're an English teacher. He's kept us, he's kept us unified this week and this year. He's kept us moving forward. We've gotten to see his work in the High Crest campus. They're a thriving community now, about 250 people. And you funded that. You took us to that place. I'm so thankful for you. But I also know, being thankful, that, that our best years are ahead of us. Because we have an awesome God who has us here to be a part of a major spiritual awakening in the city of Topeka. It's an honor. And so I want to pray this prayer over you and send you out to celebrate a week of contentment and thankfulness in Christ. Would you stand? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this church family that you have placed in my life. Thank you for the different backgrounds that you bring together each week. People who've known you for a long time and people who haven't yet met you. And I thank you for bringing us together to consider what a life where Jesus is enough might look like. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, the son of God, the savior of our lives. Thank you that Jesus is enough. We praise you in the reality that with Christ, we have more than enough for a relationship with you and a full and complete restoration for eternity with you. We thank you that our righteousness is not required from us. For whom among us could stand? We praise you for the righteousness of Christ, who lived perfectly for us, died finally on the cross for us, and rose from the dead as victor over sin and death. We rest in this reality that Christ is enough. Father, we seek your leading in our lives in the area of contentment, We're going to leave this place in just a few moments, and we're going to be immediately bombarded with content, content to compare our lives with, our marriages, our families, our status, or our possessions. You've given things to others. Help us be content with what you've given to us. We receive everything you've given to us. Food for this day and this week, clothing, a covering over our heads, the people you've placed in our lives, the possessions that we have, health. 
another day to live and to breathe, to find our being in you. We ask that you would be honored and you would take joy in our resources and in our relationships. May we bring you glory and honor with them, and may we never worship them, but always worship you with them. Finally, Father, we ask you to guide and direct our lives for the things that last forever. May we know them and see them and run towards them and pursue them with our lives and invest our resources. May we love you above all, love and apply your word, and love others as you have loved us. Build contentment in your family. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving.